So, wow, smile back at me, please. Okay, that's a lot better. Uh, you know, um, I, I, let's just take a second and invite the Lord to speak to us through his word. Lord, your word, you, you, your scriptures tell us that th- these words will not return void. There's a promise present in your word, God. It's, it's the only thing you honor above your name, your word. And so, Lord, not with some sort of mystical anticipation, but with faith that the supernatural is at work, we invite you, Lord, to speak to us. Use your Holy Spirit to speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's funny, um, after church, um, it's not unusual for me to, for somebody to come up after church and say, hey, it really ministered to me when you said thus and so. And I'm thinking, I never said that. And I know the Holy Spirit will speak to you during, um, during the time not right now. Not, it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the Holy Spirit and your faith. To, just to wait upon the Lord for a few minutes. And I believe, you know, I believe I could stand up here and read to you, well, I was going to say, a recipe for pizza, and if you're available to the Holy Spirit, you'll get something out of that. I mean, really, literally believe that. Okay, so I have this habit, Proverbs, I love it. Today's the 6th of July, so we're going to make a quick pass through, um, and I picked verses 16 to 19 out of Proverbs 6. Um, these, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him, haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Today, today we're starting a new series. That's not our text, by the way. I just like to visit Proverbs anytime I teach. Uh, today we're starting a, a brief series. We're going to talk for a couple of weeks about the topics of love and hate. And, um, and I think there are things that God loves, obviously, and there are some things that God hates, um, maybe a little bit. And, and I think that uh, it's obvious, seems obvious that if you want to pursue a relationship with someone, if you want to get closer to that person, it's important that you get to know a little bit about how they feel about things. What are the things that they love and what are the things that maybe that they hate? Because if you want relationship, then you're going to probably try to do a little bit more of the things they love. And, and you want to do fewer of the things they hate? Makes sense so far? Okay, so, I mean, um, I mean, come on, guys. When you were chasing your bride, you did this. You strategized. You thought, okay, I got to get to know this chickadee. Um, what is she like? And what should I do? And what should I not do, right? I mean, come on. That's, what we, that's how we treat relationships like that. And so I know that there are some topics. And I've, I've, in fact, I'll do it. I'll take a minute, and we'll talk about a couple of topics. See, I mean, because that... That are neither, they're not necessarily evil or good, but people polarize over these issues. Like, for example, country music. I, I know if I was to ask, some of you would go, country music? There's no such thing as country music. I mean, you know, I hate it. It's all about my car broke down, my wife left me, my dog bit me. You know, um, there's a Loretta Lynn song with a terrific title You're the Reason Our Kids Are Ugly. You know? <laughs> If you're feeling bad sometime, get into Google and say country music, funny titles. And I mean, I mean, you can't stand country music. Or maybe, hey, maybe you come in today and it's a fact that all your exes live in Texas. Okay, and I, I, I know, I, I, I chuckle about that song title. I don't know, I shouldn't. I'm a pastor, that's not supposed to be funny to me. But it is, it's just funny to me. Um, I think I said that one time, I, I kind of was humming that tune. And Lisa says, what is that? And I said, you made that up. I said, no, that's a real song. Oh, my, come on. Anyway, so, but, you know, you're, you're into Brad Paisley, and you love country music. Okay, so I know, right? Some people love it. Some people hate it. Okay. You love country music? Way to go. Me too. That's one of my memory buttons on my, it's where I'm usually. Or another one is Sushi. 
It's like some of you are going, put some fire on that. Do not give that to me while the fins are still flopping. And other people say, no, 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 you just got to get the right cut of the right. I mean, I just, I was in a restaurant, a nice restaurant, and um, I thought I would give that a spin. That was a mistake. It just was a mistake. I thought, you know, okay, put some, put some heat on that. Here's another one for me, Pinterest. Why would you want to take pictures of things and put it out there for people to see? I mean, and I know, I know others of you, Pinterest, hey, it's, you got it going on. You do these things. And because of Pinterest, you are now Martha Stewart. I get that. It's a good thing. Okay. Pinterest. Here's one for me. And okay. Skinny jeans. Okay. If you can wear them, you love the things. But for those of us who can't, they're the stupidest thing. Right? <laughs> There are a lot of things that we love and a lot of things that we hate. And I think that's also true with God. It's obviously true with God, too. What are the things that God loves and what are the things that he hates? And I want to talk about that a little bit because, and particularly, I'm going to focus a lot about the topic of love because we have a tendency to, to hear the word love and think of it, and our frame of mind begins to think it's something that we do. But there's a foundational fact about God that I want to point out to you today, and it's, I think, really critical for us to have as a baseline for the next couple of weeks, maybe forever, and that is, and that is this. Love is not what God does. Love is who God is. We see that in 1 John uh, 4, verse 8. Scripture says, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. You see, it's not what God does, it's actually who he is. It's his, it's his very essence, it's his very nature, God is love. And, and that love that he is, it just naturally emanates and flows from him. It can't, it can't, it can't do anything else. It, it's not that God decides to be loving, it just is. It's like a light bulb, if it's, if it, if it, it's just they shine. They, they, it's like the power's there, it has no choice, it's who, that, it's, it's who it is. And, and that poses this problem for us sometimes in our own mind because you'll accept that scripture because it says so but there's a struggle sometimes that we have and that's this if God is love then how come I always don't always feel God's love I may not be close I may not feel it why 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 don't I always feel it and I think there are lots of reasons why we don't feel God's love and today I want to talk about three of them just I'd pick three. Why is it so hard for us to feel God's love? So I'm just to jump right in. I think uh, one of the first reasons that we may not feel God's love, even though God is love, is this. Maybe we're not seeking God like we should. Simple. You know, maybe, maybe we're not feeling God because we're just not seeking after him. Um, and, and about a year ago in May, we did a series here on marriage and uh, talked about um, some f- five different things that if we d- took those characteristics, those principles, and applied them regularly and consistently, it would give us a strong marriage, a, strong, a marriage that would stand if we'd be doing those things. And the first one on that list was that we were to seek God. And, 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 and you know, there's this foundational scripture in Matthew um, 6 where Jesus, Jesus teaches us, and this is Jesus talking. He says, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. Now, maybe maybe you have a good, a strong, a healthy marriage. And all these things for you means maybe you have real peace and you have an understanding 
about what it is that God wants you to do and to be today. Maybe, maybe you have this understanding and this peace and this wisdom about God's chosen career path for you. You have a sense of destiny and direction, and you may not see the first step, but you know where you're going, and you trust that God's going to give you that step. You have this peace because you seek God, and then you know. You, you may not have it today, but you know these things are going to be given to you. And maybe for you, all these things in that scripture is a sense of, of you have no question. You know God loves you. And when we seek first his kingdom, then all these things are going to be added. Um, but maybe we're not feeling God's love sometimes because we're not seeking God like we should. If you came to me and you said, hey, Terry, um, if you're a young man or a guy and you came to me, hey, Terry, I'm going to marry this woman. But we're not going to, mate, or we're not going to um, have any dates. And in fact, we're not going to get to know each other at all, but we're going to get married. <laughs> I'd look at you and I'd say, okay, you're crazy. You're, you're just, it's just not going to happen. She's not going to go along with it for one thing. But I mean, it, to, to make the relationship work, you have to get to know them some. You've got to find out what are the things that they love, what are the things that they hate, and do more of what they love and less of what they hate. And, and, and yet, even though we understand that's how relationships work, we don't always do that with God. We don't. I mean, sometimes we put him on a shelf and then we still kind of expect that we're supposed to feel God's love. But we haven't really pursued. And Jesus tells us that seek first the kingdom of God and then all these things will be added to you. The first reason we may not feel God's love is that maybe we're not seeking him. The second one is this. We don't love the way God loves. And we see this principle in 1 John 4, 10 and 11. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment for our sins. Beloved, if this is the way God loved us, we must also love each other. Wow. Do you think God set himself a standard that's going to be pretty hard for you and me to keep up with? I, I mean, that is huge. I mean, the chances are that I'm not going to be sending my children to die for you. Don't think I would do that. That's, I, I think the truth is you probably wouldn't send your children to die for me. I mean, I mean that's, a, that's a huge standard of, of, of that God has set for love. We don't always love the way that God tells us to love. Yet I also believe that if we're going to live like Jesus lived, we have to learn to love like Jesus loved. The problem is it just doesn't come naturally to us. It doesn't. Different things pull us away. We get too easily frustrated with people and we react differently than we ought to and we just don't end up loving like God loves. I'm going to give you an example. This is from Sunday a week ago. Lisa and I have a routine you know, on our way to church in the morning um, that typically involves a drive through window. And um, so last week there was, there was hardly anybody at the drive through window, which to us is like a big bonus. Like we go to the drive through window because sometimes there's cars lined up and... Um, I know some of you are saying, well, get off the drug then. And I say, okay, <laughs> talk to me about that later and I can repent in person. But, um, uh, <laughs> but so we get up there and we place our order and um, now we're sitting a car at the window and us next to the window, next to that car. And uh, we're close enough that we see the drink come out and we can hear the entire conversation. Not mainly to eavesdrop, but we can hear the whole conversation. Drink goes over, money's exchanged, Clock's ticking. I'm thinking, let's go. Okay, they talked. 
They didn't know each other. They got to know each other. They compared notes. I think by the time they were done, they were long lost friends. I mean, it seemed like forever, but it was literally, I mean, literally, I'm not exaggerating, over two minutes that they just chit-chatted. And I'm thinking, Mike, come on, get going. I got someplace to go. I didn't, you know, go inside and stand at the counter if you want to talk, but give me my drink, right? I mean, I mean, and I just really failed to love like Jesus loved in those minutes because I was frustrated. I had expectations. I was focused on my own plans. And my default was to really to want what serves me first. And I think, you know, or, or here's another one, another place where I fail to love like Jesus loves. It's like it happens at the grocery store because I have the spiritual gift of getting behind the person who's least ready to go through the checkout counter for whatever reason. I mean, I, I, I get behind the lady who, um, you know, after everything is rung up, then realizes, oh, I think I should find my checkbook. Now, out she pulls her purse. Purse is a, that's, I'm being charitable to call it a purse. It's this great big huge duffel bag that wouldn't qualify for carry-on status at most airlines. You'd have to check it because it's too big. And she starts now after everything's rung up and there's a line of people and we're all waiting and she thinks, oh, I think I'll take a minute and find my checkbook. So she starts digging. And instead of just digging, there's so much stuff in there. You know, you've been, this, you've probably seen this lady. She's digging and she starts pulling stuff out. And then she starts thinking, I should narrate this for the people in the, in the line. Oh, there's my lost tweezers. Everybody see that? My lost tweezers. So it's that down. Out stuff's coming one at a time. It's like, pull it over. We have to call for survival people to come and dig us up. Oh, this is a finger painting from my neighbor's little girl. Isn't that sweet? She just got her first tooth. You know, we're hearing this thing and I'm thinking, come on. Oh, there's the lost toaster. And on it goes until out comes the, out comes the checkbook. And I'm thinking, oh, thank you, Lord. Just a minute. I got to find my pen. And off she goes. And I'm thinking, oh, good grief. I got to take these ingredients back. This was for dinner. I need to go get breakfast food now for this because I've been here so long. And I'm looking for that imaginary lever where the floor opens up and Mary Poppins falls out. Because <laughs> we get so, I'm getting frustrated just telling you about this, you know. We get, I get frustrated. We just get frustrated with people, and 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 that's not God. That's not God driving those emotions in me. And love is not what God does. Love is who God is, and we don't love the way God loves. It makes it difficult for us sometimes to feel God's love, because we don't love the way God loves. We don't understand how God could love someone as insensitive and thoughtless as Mary Poppins at the front with the bag and the umbrella and all that stuff. Third thing I think, and this is probably the most common reason why people don't feel God's love, and that is this. We feel unworthy. We just don't feel worthy. We just don't feel worthy of his love. We just don't feel it. Romans 5.8, Paul Paul tells us this, he says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So in other words, you didn't have to try to become worthy for God to decide to send his son for you, for you. It's almost like we kind of get to this place where maybe for a while we are doing okay with God and things are good and and then we get into this, we slip into this place we ought not to be where we start to look around and we think, you know, I'm better than so-and-so and at least I don't do this and I see this person doing that and we get into this comparison game and, and we put ourselves where mentally we think, okay, I measure up, I'm okay, I'm doing good and, um, in that comparison thing and, 
And then one day, you say something you shouldn't have said. Or you do something you shouldn't have done. Or you've, you've done something and you've hurt somebody and you haven't made it right. And um, you meant to be closer to God. You meant to spend some time in his word, but things, other things were more important. And the next thing you know, you have now created mentally this gap between you and God. You started thinking and you've calculated, you know, I've got this gap between me and God. There's this distance and we kind of start to measure how far away from God we are. So our natural thought is, okay, I need now what I got to do is get back over there closer to God. So I, we start to scratch and claw and climb our way, trying to get closer to God. The problem is that we can't. We can't scratch and claw our way to get closer to God, and God knows that. That's why he demonstrated his love for you. And that scripture says that while you were still sinners, while you were still unworthy, He says, I know they can't bridge this gap, so I'm going to send Jesus anyway. In fact, I'm going to send him because of that. I'm not going to wait until they've proven it to me. I'm not going to wait until they get worthy. I'm not going to wait until they can demonstrate their holiness because I know they just can't get there. So God says, I'm going to demonstrate right now my love by sending Jesus, my son, so that they can have new life, so that they can be transformed and, and, and be different. But in our mind, we don't feel worthy of God's love And that prevents us from feeling God's love. And we see this playing out right at the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapters 2 and 3. And it's talking about Adam and Eve. And they're in the garden and everything's going great. They're doing wonderful with God. And uh, God gives them some running lanes. He says, knock yourselves out. Have fun here. You can do whatever, you know. Just don't eat this. Here's the one. Don't do this. And he kind of draws a boundary. And, of course, you know the story. They disobey. They eat the forbidden fruit, and um, sin enters the situation, and then they realize they're naked, and then they feel shame. Up until then, you know, they, they had been in this constant relationship with God, and all of a sudden, that's broken. Why? Why? You know, they're, 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 they're in the garden. They hear God walking in the garden. And Adam goes away to hide from God. He walks away from God. His sin leads him away from God. And that's what we do. We think to ourselves, you know, if people only knew the kinds of things I'm thinking, if people only knew, you know, how I felt about this circumstance, if, if, if people only knew that I'm not so good as they think, I have this facade of being this solid Christian, but if people only knew that I don't pray like I should, that if they only knew that I don't read my Bible hardly ever, and, 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 and I don't really feel God's love. And we feel ashamed, and we create this distance between us and God. And we hide, just like Adam did. But check it out, what happens here. I love this part. God says in Genesis 3, he says, Adam, where are you? And I think, I'm certain in my soul that God is saying that today. He's saying, you know, Mary, where are you? Rhonda, where are you? Mark, Paul, where are you? Your name, where are you? And you're somewhere over here and you're hiding. 
And you say, I'm over here hiding God. And God says, why? Why are you hiding? Mm, I'm not good enough. I feel shame, God. I feel guilty. I feel unlovable. And you know, God, I know I don't seek you like I should. And God says to Adam, he says, why are you hiding? Because I was naked and I felt ashamed. And God says, Adam, who told you that? And God says to us, to you, says to you today, who told you that? Who told you that you're too shameful for my love? Who told you that you should be holding on to that guilt from a decision you made so long ago? Who told you that? Who told you that you're not worthy of my love? Who? I want to know God is saying that to you. Because his response is, I'm saying something a little different than that. And we find in God's word in Ephesians 2, here's, it says there that we're basically, that we're God's workmanship. In the New Living Translation, which I'll put up for you, it says, we are God's masterpiece. Now, okay, okay, now, but, but, but I know you have an objection to that, but it goes on. We're God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. Man, I love that. It's just so full of grace. It's so full of truth. And it's just so good to know that he's not something that we have to become worthy of. God says that while you were sinners, I decided to send Jesus. He says, you're my masterpiece. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works that I planned for you so long ago in advance. And I haven't changed my mind. When Lisa and I go away on vacation, um, I'm, I, it's probably really irritating. I don't know, but she enjoys and goes along with me. I, I make her, I say, oh, there's an art gallery. I want to go in there. Now, I, I need to say to you, I, mean, I love to look at the paintings and I love to look at the sculptures and I know that's not a real manly thing. Um, you'd rather be sharpening the teeth on your chainsaw. But I do like to go into an art store, okay? So, I mean, that's not a very you know, manly thing. But I, I also want to confess to you, I do not have one artistic molecule in this entire body. Not one. I really do not. Um, and, and, and so I look at artwork, and, and, and I marvel at it. I marvel at it. Um, I, I brought something for show and tell, and I want to show you. I was at a um, church banquet. Now, this was a long time ago. And I'm sitting there, and um, I don't even remember what's going on, except the guy sitting next to me wasn't really paying attention. And you know church banquets, they don't bring out the linen. We bring out the, the little cheap napkins that you buy, they're square, and they, you buy them in a, you buy them in a you know, 4,000 of them in a stack. And the guy next to me had a white one, and he's, he's doing this. And um, he's, he's, um, he's doodling. And this was the napkin. I put it up on the wall so you can see the artwork. If you look closely at the artwork, you can see it's a napkin. This is just the cheapest thing. And he's doodling. He doesn't have an easel. This, there's, no, there's no study where he's taking a photograph. and a ske- This is doodling to this dude. This guy is doodling. And I'm watching this, and I'm just shocked and amazed. The guy's name is Sandy. 
Sandy Holine, maybe some of you know him. He lives in the Olympia area, and he's just this artist, and, uh, and I think he lives up there somewhere. I haven't talked with him for decades, decade at least. I said, Sandy, can I have that? <laughs> I mean, my napkin had mustard and ketchup on it, I'm sure. And he goes, yeah, sure. He shoves it across the table to me. I shoved it back. I said, sign it. He signed it. It says, it says Sanford Holine-89. So this is, is that 25 years ago. 89, 99, no, it's 15 years ago. Is it 25 years ago? I'm so glad that you're the one that pays the bills around here, Rachel. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it amazed me, because I don't have a single molecule that could do that. And now I know Sandy a little bit. I know he went to art school, and I know that they taught him some things, but I'm telling you, if you sent me to the best art school in the world, you wouldn't get this from me. Because this is deposited spirit by, by, by the Spirit of God. There are talents that are put in that man that I don't have. I have different ones. And so I like to go, and I like to go look at this artwork. And I go to these different places. And to me, I'm interested to see the artwork. I enjoy the artwork. But what I'm really interested to see is the miraculous things that the Lord does through people. Because I hate to say it, I mean, I don't really give the artists all that much credit. I mean, they're good and they're talented, and I get to know some of them when I have the opportunity. But we were, um, we were on vacation, and um, I went into a place and um, decided to watch a guy working glass, you know, a glass blower. And this isn't the one where the guy was taking the glass tube and melting it into a unicorn. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the guy who's got the pipe and the big kiln, and out comes the big gob of molten stuff, and it's so hot you can't hardly watch it, and and he's rolling this pipe and this gob is flopping around and he blows on it and he flops it and then he, then he takes this, um, this big like a cup thing and he's rolling the thing and he puts the cup underneath it and he's shaking, shape, shaping this gob and he blows on it some more. Then he takes this, shoves it back in the furnace and out it comes and it's white hot again and now he dips it in some other broken pieces of glass and shoves it in and melts it and his colors are changing and he's rolling it and he was doing this and going working back forth for a while and I watched him and, and it was hot and it was kind of cool and I thought okay I'm, I can hardly wait to see what this comes out as and he's working on it and partway through this you hear this unexpected bang and I'm thinking oh how embarrassing is that? This guy's the master artist in front of all these people who are watching him and the thing just broke. The glass broke. He's looking at it and he's spinning it and he's, it's, it's fractured now and he says, you know, he says something like, you know, I thought I was going to make a vase today. I guess it's going to be something different. I thought, oh, he's not done with it. He shoves it back in the kiln, gets it white hot again, fires it, and he takes out these great big huge scissors, big metal scissors, and he pulls it back out and he starts cutting into the middle of this thing, in the very heart of this gob of glass. And he pulls a big section out and it crashes to the floor and he starts then working with what's left over. He cuts out this defective part. And in and out of the heat, just the right amount of heat so that it's pliable. And as it gets close to what he wants to do, he's rolling it back and forth. And he's got all these shaping tools. Eventually, he takes this big mitt, and I don't know if it was leather or something, but he got it all wet. And now it's in his hand, and he's rolling this. He's got this pipe, and the gob is on the end, and he's got this, these bars, and it rolls it back and forth. And now with his hand, he shoves it underneath this gob, and he's rolling it back and forth. And now his fingers are shaping this into the exact perfect shape that this master wants it to be. 
And there are times when it was so hot that he couldn't get near it. But he needed to get that heat to get into the shape that it needed to be. And we got all done with it. He takes this pipe, this whole thing, and he sets it upright. He puts it upright. This thing that had been forged in the heat. And he produced this. And then the big one came out, this thing. I, there's no way for the photograph to really show what was going on there. It was amazing. Out of this broken vessel comes this masterpiece. Out of a cracked, imperfect, broken thing, allowed into the fire, but always only the necessary amount of heat, it was gently cradled, and gently molded and how beautiful this thing became in the maker's hands. Isn't that true about us? I mean, a lot of times we're hurt, we're damaged, we're incomplete and broken, but you take all of that brokenness and you put it in the hands of the master, the creator, and something beautiful happens. And God's saying, maybe to you today, I know you're broken, I know. I know this has been a tough season. I know it has been incredibly hard. Really hard. And I know that during that time, there was stress unbelievable. And I know that even in that time, maybe you felt your purpose just sap, just drain away from you. But I want you to know you're my masterpiece. You're my masterpiece. You're beautiful. And you were created in Christ Jesus for, for works that I planned for you in advance. And God is reminding us today that we don't think the way he thinks and we don't love the way that, that he loves. Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher. They're different than our ways. I look at my th- myself sometimes and I see something broken God says, I see something different. I see something beautiful. I see something I can utilize, something I can create, something I can transform. I, can, I, I see something where I can create a new purpose, a new meaning, and a new creation if we allow it in Christ Jesus. What is it that God loves today is about love and hate? God loves to take the broken. God loves to take the hurting people and make them into his masterpiece. Lord, I want to thank you for letting us wander out into what for many people today is probably really tender territory. God, with love and respect and care, I've wandered there today and I ask God for your spirit to do what only your spirit can do and that is take the broken and the wounded and the hurting and somehow press Jeremiah 29, 11 into us because you're, you tell us right there what you're thinking about us, not about our failures, not about our sin, and not about the calamity of our life, but instead you're thinking about our future and our hope. I pray, Lord, for the brokenhearted that would hear this, these words, that God, you, the master, would gently cradle, and that the minute, the instant where the heat isn't needed anymore, Lord, 
that your gentle hands would just put us upright, that you would just do that. I pray, Lord, for um, something to circulate in our souls of faith today that's new and fresh. I pray, God, also for something of, of joy and expectation to rise up as we would seek after what it is that you love. God, let us not be the guy who says, I'm going to marry this woman.